When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. We are putting the business back into the business of the ladies. Um, Today, we have some very exciting founders, It is Robin McIntosh and Lisa McLaughlin. They're co-founders and co-CEOs of Work at Health. Work at Health is a digital addiction clinic that's scaling very rapidly across the United States. And they recently raised $118 million in a Series C. And anybody who's listening must know that it's very difficult for women to raise, and in particular, those amounts of money. So we're going to hear all about them today. Thank you, ladies, for showing up. Talking about your lady business. We're excited to be here. (laughs) So why don't we start with working health? Like what is it and how you found each other to found it? Okay. Yeah. So work, it's a digital addiction care platform. And Robin and I came to the process of building it from being patients ourselves. So what we do now is provide virtual care for addiction, basically at-home rehab for people anywhere on the spectrum of wanting to get care. So people that are wanting to quit drinking or just moderate, people that want to quit drugs or moderate um, quitting drugs. Um, And we built that uh, because basically we saw a need. So as people in recovery um, in 2015, we were really shared this notion that people weren't getting the care they deserve. They were being forced into this really extreme model that just said, you're going to be sober for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And we wanted there to be like, multiple pathways, ways that people could start from wherever they were in like a confidential, discreet way, which phones enable. Um, And so we started very simple and building out what we saw as the distance between what we got in terms of evidence-based care and what most people get, which is like stage four rehab at a facility, maybe with horse therapy. And we tried to package as much of that experience into an app as possible. And now it's very comprehensive today. So we have 6,300 patients and provide care for all sorts of addictive behaviors, everything from gambling to sex and love addiction, to opioid use disorder, to alcohol use disorder, expanding, 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 um, and more and more severities. So people that want prevention services all the way up to people really late stage that need to detox from home. And it's just been a dream to get to build that together because we came together as two women in recovery that really just saw these huge gaps in, um, 
and we're sober ourselves, but we're part of like the 5% or even the 1% that made it through the extreme AA CrossFit type way. The other 1%. <laughs> yeah. We right. actually met at an AA meeting. So I always share this, Lisa, but we met um, my first day of being in the Bay Area. Lisa was there working already. And um, we met in Oakland, California, and we were sitting side next to each other at an AA meeting. And Lisa raised her hand and talked about the time she got um, sober in Ann Arbor. And I said, oh my goodness, you're from Ann Arbor. I went to University of Michigan. And it was such a connection from there. So that was in 2009. And we didn't start the company until 2015. So it was very much a twinkle in our eye for a long time, thinking about something we would do together and bringing our you know, disparate backgrounds to bear and figuring out a complementary partnership to create this thing. So it happened long before it happened. <laughs> right. And a lot of these, you know, I think women's based businesses for the most part start out of, you know, passion, like something that's like really, and then noticing a need that is not filling for you personally, you know, and recognizing that. So it's amazing. And did either of you, what were your backgrounds before that? What were you doing? Yeah. So at the time that we started work at, I was really working in ed tech. And I had a background as a social worker and as an information scientist, and I'd worked in technology for a long time, starting in kind of medical technology, but I was working on a K-12 ed tech platform and a 15th or so friend of mine that was beloved to me passed away in Ann Arbor from addiction. And I had this like soul crisis moment where I was like, I don't really care about this tech stuff. Like, I mean, I love education and stuff, but this isn't a problem that I care about as much as I care that the system of healthcare is so broken. So I had to really mix background of like having worked in academia for a long time, doing healthcare projects, worked in psychiatry at Michigan for four years, was a wilderness therapist, but then went into tech for a long time to get some ease from burnout, from compassion fatigue and stuff like that. But work, it kind of brought me back to my home base, which is really that like mix of social enterprise thinking and healthcare and also tech and and user experience. And and so that's my background. We could probably go off on a tangent on wilderness therapy, but we will continue (laughs) on with Robin's background. Everyone Google it because I have no idea what it is. (laughs) Oh, it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, Yeah. So my background is very different from Lisa's. And I think that's part of our secret sauce and why we have so much chemistry together as co-founders and as friends, I think. But so I come from a very um, design-centered, entrepreneur-centered background. So Workit is my third company, but before Workit, I was partnered with another incredible female CEO. She's amazing. Her name is Kate Harris. And um, she and I created a company called Siren. So it's a woman-owned design and dev studio in San Francisco. It's still going really strong. And she has an incredible roster of clients and does really cutting-edge creative work. But when we were working on it, on the side, Lisa and I were very close as well. And we would talk and Lisa's right. We just saw before the opioid epidemic hit the headlines and all these salacious things came out, et cetera. Like nobody was talking about addiction. Nobody was talking about opioids and nobody was talking about scary things like fentanyl emerging on the scene. Mm -hmm. And basically these genocide events happening in our cities and our rural communities everywhere throughout the country. So it felt really crazy to be working on um, kind of the cutting edge of things in San Francisco. So uh, you know, we were working with this C fund that they only worked with companies. I think it was, oh, that worked on automotive things. So 
there was this founder that kept calling me really angry about his gas company. So it was like gas that was supposed to come to your house. And it was for very wealthy people. And he was talking about how, you know, the website didn't have the right shade of purple and why didn't have it the right shade of purple. And it was the middle of the night. And I was like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> like that's, that's ridiculous. And I think Siren, actually, we have some incredible clients as well. We did, but you know, it just felt so inspiring when Lisa and I would have these conversations about bringing our skill sets to bear on things that really matter to us personally. Mm-hmm. And we, it was a dream of ours. You know, we lived in the Bay Area in the, that time in the 2010s that everybody was starting a company. So it was really the ecosystem we were a part of as well. So it was incredible the day that we started work at health at January 1st, 2015, we took out that domain name and we, we took ourselves very seriously from there. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's great because like you were saying, you were like surrounded by a bunch of people who were starting their own companies. Did you know all the statistics about women raising money or any of the prejudices against women building businesses at that point? I think we were aware like that there weren't that many women founders out there, but I think just the extent to which we have discovered how bad it is has been like a unraveling of the onion, like layer by layer. And it has to be experiential in some ways. Like you can read about it. You can read a Kaufman, you know, stat that's saying it's only 2% of women or, you know, in a great year, 2.5% of women and like 1% of African-American individuals um, that raise this money. But I just don't think that I realized the archetypes that were out there for the founder and how weird Robin and I were going to be perceived compared to that expectation of like the founder with the hoodie, who's like talking about web three and crypto and this and that, or the founder, you know, who's really coming from, you know, Goldman Sachs or having been in finance. Like we just were none of those things. And I think that that was an awakening that we experienced that (laughs) we're still (laughs) sort of smarting from because it's just some of the weirdest interactions of my days have been as part of being in this role and being like, we're super qualified professionals with deep, deep decades long experience doing this work and people being like, Oh, interesting. I think I'll assemble a team of 23 year olds to do what you're doing like tomorrow and doing that and like going out and doing that, you know, as a result, Wait, somebody did that. You interviewed with somebody, you like met with somebody about raising money. And then instead they're like, Oh no, we're just going to have a bunch of dudes with hoodies do it instead. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's happened to us multiple times and and weirder things still. Um, But I think the big thing is that we've been successful over time through persistence. And like, I think our path to fundraising was so different because it was it was a lot like J.K. Rowling's attempts to publish Harry Potter, where she like applied 100 times to get her first draft in somewhere like we had like 115 pitches or so for seed and the average hoodie you know, 24 year old, yeah. <laughs> be like, I've had some write me a guy from Apple who wanted to leave and he had done three pitches and he thinks, and he wrote me and he was like, I think I'm going to hand in the towel. I was mm-hmm. like, really? Really? <laughs> okay. I, think also, I think also as the double prejudice, I, I don't think we were expecting to get hit with this one, two punch of being one women founders, but two people in recovery. So we had a lot of people ask us, well, what prevents you from relapsing? And we're like evidence-based care. <laughs> that's what we, you know, that's what we're building. And that was hard. And then 
actually one, two, three punch. I think the third is having an interdisciplinary background. You know, Lisa and I come from, I come from design and business. She comes from clinical and ed and technology and business development. So having those kinds of strange backgrounds and not just saying, I learned what I know at um, Stanford as an undergrad, and then I went to their MBA program, and now I'm starting this thing, X, Y, and Z. Uh, that those three things worked against us for a long time. So it took us a really long time to raise our seed round. And then it took us a long time to raise a significant round. So like the series C was very fair, but it was led by women. Yeah. So how long did it take to raise a seed? And what did you guys raise at that time? Oh, we had like three seats because the first (laughs) deal was so (laughs) bad and rapey, but I mean, I shouldn't say that, but you know, it was just, it, it was really hard because Lisa and I were first time founders. So um, I'm trying to be, you know, cautious here a little bit, but so we basically started raising $250,000 at like, I think it was giving our company away for valuation at a million. We shut that down very fast. and then We jumped to something else um, because of our co-CEO-ship and because of our friendship, we talk a lot. So we, we learn really quickly and bounce ideas off one another. So we get wise to, to the markets or the learning spaces we enter really quickly. But Lisa, I would say it took us a year and a half of bootstrapping, right? Something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, a little over over that. Um, just for it to close out, and during that time period, we went through accelerator after accelerator. We educated ourselves as much as we could, but even just in the beginning, we didn't really understand that whole angel groups or groups we were approaching didn't even have active funds. There was a lot to learn. That if you wow. don't have a background, you could talk to somebody who's like a private equity group who's like, "I'd love to talk to you and pick your brain about your idea," and like have no real concept that there's no feasibility to them funding you. So I think in the beginning, part of it was just this learning process of putting ourselves in front of the right types of funds um, that would actually invest. And in the end, I think it came down to personal relationships and our lead in the seed really having had a great you know, relationship with Siren and a connection to Robin. And so that trust already being there to sort of you know, get past all the bias around us. Because in addition to the three or four things Robin mentioned, there's also the fact that there's two of us. And for some reason, especially, you know, in the venture capital world, that's particularly weird. Two women like standing together in the world is particularly yeah. like, worrisome because the first thought is governance, right? The first thought is, what if I need to take this over? And there's these two women standing <laughs> And there's all sorts of things that it brings up. It's also like, you know, every Disney movie has like these women <laughs> pitted against each other. Yeah, exactly. Fighting over a man. Yeah. 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 They make decisions is another one. Oh, they must be co-CEOs because neither of them can make a decision. You know, right. they can't, you know, it's an ego trip or it's a power trip. Like it's so bizarre in the startup world. It's the only place you don't see co-partnerships. Every other aspect of business, right? Like if you look at commercial real estate, which is our family is in commercial real estate. My father, you know, white cis man has been in a platonic relationship with his white cis partner, right? His male partner for like 40 years, something like that. And nobody has once questioned that duo. They just do attaboys and kind of build them up. But for Lisa and I, it pisses people off. It really seems- would they rather have more than two or just one? Just one. I mean, because look at Airbnb at four, you know, 
Yeah. There's many, I mean, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there's other examples of, of male found, you know, co-founders, two guys, wasn't like honey, two guys. And, but it's not the co-foundership. It's more the co-CEO. Co-CEOs. We're taking the lead together is the most egregious thing to a lot of people. (laughs) Like for some reason it brings up all sorts of mommy issues or whatever (laughs) issues, but it's been a little wild to talk I mean, part of our raise, we always devote a little piece of the section of, you know, the pitch meeting and the secondary pitch to the therapy session that we have to give about our co-CEO status and how it's okay. And this is a new world we're living in. We just expect that to be a conversation and a therapy session we need to hold. And that was from the very beginning. Right. So how do you guys divide up your actual responsibilities? Because you obviously have to do that as co-founders, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's areas that are overlapping where we're both like great presenters publicly. And so we can't split ourselves into thousands of parts. So it's just practical that if there's a speaking engagement on the West Coast, Robin will go or on the East Coast, I'll go or we'll go every other because of the burden of how much it is. And then um, when it comes to business development, I do a lot of our health plan sales, um, but I lead through the point of contract. And then Robin's operational team comes in and closes out the legal agreement, gets us up and running with ops. And then when it comes to clinical Again, every aspect of it, I think we co-lead. So even the areas where I feel like I'm leading in terms of having a team and direct reports, we really use this consensus style leadership forum to be like, does this make sense? Is this too academic? How do we productize this together? That kind of thing. And I think we get that question a lot and people feel so much better if they see the org chart and they'll see like my areas and Robin's areas. Right. But the real reality of it is that that's not what makes us successful. What makes us successful is the hybrid nature. And the fact that like we do that interdisciplinary thing where we don't let any one area get to take too much of the lead. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I say. So one, you know, having represented only women now for almost three years, what thing that would like drive me crazy is, you know, see on some kind of blog, what I'm on, it could be, Hey mama or another one or whatever. And be like, Hey, does anybody have a form? I found a co-founder. It's like, okay, well, you can't do that. Like you just said, you spent six years together talking about this. Like, like this is a marriage. You guys communicate, you communicate a ton, you know, and you feel like, and that's what I find that the really successful partnerships, it's like not one person is handling everything. Like all of them get their just due as far as like you both are in it and making sure you're making the major decisions, but ultimately too, like you can't be doing the same thing. You both, you, you can't clear your schedule to both be talking to the lawyers or to the, you know, everybody, like, otherwise you're never going to get anything done. Right. You have to divide and conquer. So you look, there's two of you and that's great. But at the same time, what you're saying is the super major decisions as co-CEOs you make together right. and you make them, you know, you have to talk about them. Cause I'm sure there's times that you disagree. Like when you disagree, how do you guys do it? What do you, Well, we decided really early on some basic principles. So something, um, it's sort of like a marriage, right? Like if you get into a marriage with somebody, you want to know that 17 years down the line, when they're really 
making you angry or you're really bored with them or like your sex life was dead or something that you commit to going to couples therapy, right? Like, and you, you lay that contract at the beginning and hopefully a lot of people do at least, at least we did in my marriage, but you know that you have some toolbox or you have a set of array of tools that you can pick up at any given time. So Lisa and I at the very beginning, and this was pretty sad, right? Like we claimed the space of self-improvement and dedication to evolving our relationship and ourselves. We said, if we ever have a deep, serious issue, if one of us holds up their hand and says, we have to go to counseling over this, we have to work on this, we have to do it. Right. So we both agreed at the beginning to show up and right. to show up on one another and show up for the relationship. Now, discord, this is again, where we talk to people and we have a lot of advisors, but we both have ultimate veto power. So even in the domains, like for instance, um, in marketing, I do a lot of the acquisition and marketing work day to day, but it's up to Lisa and I to ultimately make decisions about where our brand sits or pricing or, you know, a new channel that we're opening up, how often we want to be on TikTok, our faces, you know, so those kinds of things. Right. But if Lisa says, no, Robin, I don't want my face all over TikTok for the next two years. There's no debate. I say, that's your veto, right? We don't do it. Right. So if one of us ultimately says, no, we respect that. We listen to women, you know, like we, we abide by that. And so things like that, you work out over the years, some things are stated, some things are learned. I think another one is clear as kind. We try to be as clear as possible with one another, but we work on ourselves all the time and every day. And we just came actually from an hour long mental fitness boot camp where <laughs> we're trying to increase our mental fitness as we go into 22. So oh, how does one do that? Lisa, do you want to talk about a little the- thing oh, called PQ or- tips? So <laughs> if we want to do a 10 second for the listeners, yeah. you stick your fingers together and push them as hard as you can. So you can feel the ridges um, for like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And the idea is it's just developing like the ability to change your mindset. So if you're stressed, you're focused on triggers, you're focused on things that are bugging you. Um, really like building that into your day, like you would build a workout into your day. Um, and there's all this psychology behind it and evidence basis. It's a form of positive psychology training plus neuroscience plus cognitive <laughs> plus one other thing. But it, basically it comes together to be this like mindfulness tool so that you're using like really strong self-command of your behaviors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So is this, and then when you guys are in these investor meetings, this is part of like what you're telling the investors and you're like, you like block out from <laughs> this is for you. This is just for you. Thanks ladies. Yes. No, one thing, it was kind of interesting though. She had us, this is a new coach that we're working with and she had us go through our saboteur assessments, which means like all the ways that you self-criticize or sabotage yourself. And um, it was interesting, Lisa, I feel like I could have done yours and you could have done mine. You know, it's, it's really fascinating. So now I'm like, everything I do, I'm like, am I being a stickler about this? Like, I guess my super perfectionist and just awful to be around so much of the time. So that's my cross to bear. I mean, aren't those some necessary traits though, to be a founder and build a business? You know, I mean, sometimes you need those kinds of things, right? And these are the things that like women get called a bitch or men get called, you know, powerful yeah. or, you know, all of those things. And so, you know, I think that we also have to be aware of, of like, you need some of these traits to be like, it's not easy firing people in particular, if they're like, they didn't do anything like fraudulent. You're just like, they're just not good or whatever. It's still hard. 
you know, and as women, we have more empathy, I think, and that, and it's like, it's still difficult, but you have to like, you know, business is business, right? It is like, we can, we can be kind in it. We can bring, you know, ourselves to it, but ultimately it's still business, right? And all those things you can, so don't beat yourself up. Okay, Robin, don't beat yourself up for those things that like serve you. Well, it's funny. It's funny. When I saw Lisa's list, hers is hyperachiever. And I was like, I'm so glad my partner's a hyperachiever. (laughs) I chose right. And then I was like, sign me up. Yeah, I know. Lisa, what did you think about that? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. There's just such a limited range of acceptable behavior for women leaders, which is what's really hard. So very quickly, if we express real clarity and discernment, but it's around a contested issue. It's just read by everyone. I think internally by teams, externally by the board, just globally as like, this is a conflict. There's a conflict. And whereas if a man did it, it would just be like, wow, self-command. That guy has got this. But people just aren't used to us doing that and being like that. I mean, what's that mean that Jane or that quote that Jane Goodall said? It's like super easy to become a difficult woman, which is why there's so many of us, you know, (laughs) like the bar is so low to be calling us that. So it's just like, um, and yeah, and it just gets bandied about. And we're like, we, so we have to just bring it in. It's like, I guess that's what I am. So Mm suck it up and deal with it, you know? But yeah, I love it. I love that you ladies are building this. So tell me a little bit more though about act work at health and what you are doing with it. Cause we, I'm sure the people listening also want to know about it, you know? Sure. So work at health. So what we are, Lisa mentioned this at the beginning, we're an addiction treatment program and we're 90% virtual, but we do have brick and mortar spaces in each of the States we operate in for those acute conditions or those acute cases, you know, where we need care escalation they need to see somebody in person, but we have kind of a twinfold goal of making addiction care really affordable and accessible. So affordable, meaning we go to health plans and we argue for health coverage for for people that are suffering from addiction, whether that's pre-addiction, post-addiction, you know, in the prevention space or in active addiction or relapse follow-up, et cetera, it doesn't really matter. Like we believe that health plans should pay for healthcare in this domain. So that's the one area. And then the second area, of course, is accessibility. So all of our services, including therapy, medication, you know, e-prescribing, drug testing, all of that, all is are delivered to a patient through an app, a mobile app that's beautiful and usable and accessible, you know, on par with what we think of as kind of the be all end all best apps of Silicon Valley. And uh, we think, you know, we approach it with an ethos that our patients deserve this. We deserved this. And, you know, we're doing this for the lost and for the living, but that's, that's what we do. And then how, um, how do people discover you? Yeah. So basically most of our members find us through online ads or marketing or blogging that we're doing. We really knew that there was really a big advantage to us being from the community. So we could make messaging on all of our communications that was like really not shamey. Like this is not your, you know, your Al-Anon dad writing this like shamey impact letter to the world or telling you to like take stock of your sins. Um, We wanted to have this totally light approach that was like, Hey, we're with you wherever you're at, come join us. 
And that's been really powerful. And then the other way people come to us is either through referrals. Um, so right now we're starting to build more and more of those relationships and be really trusted over years of working in clinical communities. We're getting the big health systems to refer to us from emergency room visits, but that took a long time and a lot of buy-in and getting to thousands of patients to get them comfortable with digital and with telemedicine. Uh, and then most excitingly now, most of our patients breaks down into a third, a third, a third, a third of them come from other patients, which is the kind of the dream, right? You want to have people referring one another. You want to be on the tip of their tongues. We always talk about wanting to be the weight watchers for addiction. Um, and that like, it's the first thing that someone says, right? Like, what should I do? Oh, I did try weight watchers. Yeah. Um, right now it's still AA, right? Right now people will say, have you tried yeah. to go to a 12 step meeting? And and that's fine. That's a choice, but we want to, we want to be there like oh, for the so whole true. thing. I know people who've gone through recovery and, and they do have this kind of sense of almost shame. Like they don't say I'm going to an AA meeting and they feel bad about it. And it's told it's a disease. It's not curable. And, you know, there's a lot of shame around it and stuff. So to, and, and so to be able to do this, like, on an app a little more discreetly and, you know, and obviously getting referrals because that's, you know, when I know somebody, they usually have called somebody who's like, they've gone through it. And um, so I love everything that you're doing. And I love the fact that you are doing it as, as women and building this and that you raised this like a massive round. So you uh, mentioned earlier too, though, you raised it mostly from women, huh? For this round, we did. Yeah. I, I think that trend really started with Beth, who was on your podcast. Shout Beth out to Ferreira Beth. from First Mark, everyone. <laughs> Beth Ferreira from First Mark. And, and we're both huge Beth fans, obviously. Love Beth so much. But um, she took our Series B, uh, I think it was nine months ago or almost 12 months ago now. So she led our Series B and she actually swooped it from another deal. So she swooped well with a better offer. And so that kind of made us think like, God, you know, it's really nice to work with a woman, but they, they were more fair to us. And then I think that oriented us for this round. So we had a large appetite for this. We went out and the person, another woman that shepherded the deal, closed the deal, now sits on the board, Nicole Scheimer, she had known Lisa and I and had been tracking us since 2016. So again, all goes back to relationships. Like she flew Lisa and I out uh, to their very, very fancy New York office with a beautiful skyline where we pitched the most humiliating deck of all time. We basically said in like turquoise font, we will end the addiction epidemic. You know, just we really, really didn't have many, like we were learning, we were learning on the job, but she knew and she recognized that ability to course correct. And then our love for one another, our love for the space and just followed us and tracked us. So when we were ready for her, you know, she was ready for us. And that was so phenomenal The the series C closed. And I think it was like three weeks of active pitching. And you, and you guys did that very close after the B, right? You said like nine to 12 months after. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because your demand to like have to grow and build everything is like, I'm sure during COVID in particular, yeah. a lot of people were really feeling lonely and, you know, yeah, going through it. I think, I think we had the appetite for it. We should have gone up for a bigger B. We should have been more right. aggressive. Every single round we say this, but Lisa and I talk about this. We should have we should have, should have, should have, I mean, no regrets at the same time, learnings from the activities that we did, you know, and I think the series C, we said, fuck it, you know, let's just go out for what exactly what we need and deserve, right? Like everybody around us seems to be raising these huge mega rounds 
And we're in the, you know, in this double epidemic or telehealth and addiction with more traction than anybody else in the space. We have like created a million work at twos, like Lisa was mentioning, the ankle butters, the copycats. Let's just go out. And if we fail, we fail. And that, I don't know, it was a really big moment for us, Lisa. Like, I think it was a big tipping point where we said, God, like, you know, you ask the, you ask the universe for what you want and the whole universe conspires to get it for you. It's one of those aha moments. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the rule of thumb really is you ask for what you want plus 20% as a woman, right? <laughs> 120%. Because <laughs> we, we usually ask for like 50 to 80% of what we really need and want and deserve, by the way. Um, well, I love it. I love that you are, you know, leading this way. I'm so happy that you have a bunch of women in this series C because that is it's, you know, one of the things that women find so hard is to find other, you know, investors that can like understand what it's like to walk in the boardroom, you know, with you. Um, I actually just interviewed Lauren Taylor Wolf, who is one of the only activist investors. You know her? Um, no, but we know Josh through Lux. Oh, yeah. 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 Her husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's only two of them, two women. Like it's crazy, you know? So she's doing it from the top down, trying to take publicly traded companies and make them much better and much more diverse, et cetera. But um, it's so crazy how few women there are in this space. And if anything, if, you know, this podcast does, is not only expose, you know, women like you and help female founders, but also to help women in finance, like that want to go into finance, know that like, we need you, we need you badly and we need you yesterday. So let's do it, you know? And I know that you um, have very busy schedules and have other things to be doing other than talking to me, but I do want to ask my one last question, which I always ask. And of each of you have to answer this in particular, um, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Either you can go first or I'm going to call on you. I'll jump in here it, just because something, as you were talking, I, you know, this expresses the need, but in the early days, Lisa and I, we didn't have an MBA. We didn't have that Stanford MBA white male to, to present all of our financials to work to investors, et cetera. But and we didn't have the money to buy that person, <laughs> you know, to buy that person to sit on our board. So we actually had conversations, which make me just shiver, you know, with disgust but that we had these conversations as two feminists, but we had these conversations. Should we just get somebody, should we get like a token white male and pop them on the board and just have them talk sometimes. And, you know, it was so disheartening. And every time, obviously we we're like, no way that's ridiculous. Even if we fail, we'll fail standing up, you know, bowing before no one. So, but anyway, so in one of those conversations, that's what investors asked us to do. So I had this long talk with one of our lead investors in the seed. And he was like, just get that guy, just get that MBA, present them for series A and have them present for series A, build your model and you'll be off. And then I called my dad and he was like, just build it yourself. Just do it. You're you and Lisa are smart enough. These people are white asses. He loves to say that your asses are just getting bigger and bigger. You know, they're not doing anything in the world. It's like, you don't need a white ass. <laughs> Lisa and I still use this. And we did. So we built the model ourselves. Like I'm now an Excel wizard and we ended up raising, using that same model to raise our series C like so many years later. And it was such a big learning moment, I think for both of us, but for me in particular, that you really, it's just a big learning moment about pedigree. So a little long-winded, but that was some of the worst advice I ever received is get your token MBA on the board and kind of go from there. Because, you know, hashtag no white asses. I love it. (laughs) 
I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Working Mine health. is serious. <laughs> Our website tomorrow. <laughs> so my worst advice has really been like people saying to me, business isn't personal, whether it's something that, whether it's someone talking to us about how to respond to a competition or a, a copycat or um really anything about how we've operated our business from a very, very like emotional mission led place. I think the best of me in the workplace and the best of my relationship with Robin and our work together has been that like business is really powerful when it is personal. Um, and that in a world where we're like facing these really, really tough, like climate challenges and challenges where people, enough people want to die that a hundred thousand people died from the opioid epidemic last year, like kind of has to be personal. We kind of have to treat business more like, you know, evolved um, for a world of constraints. And I think our co-CEO model does that, but I think that kind of thinking is so outdated and it's the same sort of thinking that's like, there's a pecking order and there we're building little fiefdoms and organizations should look like basically like a general and their report and their military squad. Yeah. <laughs> like that's broken. It's broken. And it's so and that broken. all comes from this idea that like business is some sort of reptilian behavior that we do. That's not human. And like, that's greed just is not, good. Yeah. yeah. Greed, it's not like realistic and it sucks. Right. So I think it's bad advice. And I'm really glad that I always was like, it is personal. It's like, well, the, the irony is, you know, when you think about like even Gordon Gecko and Wall Street, greed is good. It's like he obviously is super emotional because he got really pissed whenever anybody was <laughs> fucking him over. So if that's not emotion, I don't know what it is, what is, you know, and I would be told like, you know, don't be so emotional about your work. And I was like, OK, you literally like just got super mad because X, Y, Z, you had a better you know, song than you. So what, do, what, how is that not emotional? You know, like it's like Steve jobs would like cry in meetings and he, but he had passion. <laughs> we have emotion. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. Okay. Look it up in the dictionary. Sure. Like, um, and so like being passionate about it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It also like having purpose behind what you do is, it's like makes it so much better. Um, but yeah, if you ever want those generals, just go and work in the music industry. <laughs> You're curing <laughs> cancer on a Saturday. Um, it's unbelievable. Ladies, thank you so much for this. I know you're super busy building this massive company and I'm so excited that you are you know, out there and being role models for other women who want to do this too. If people want to find you and work at health, how do they do that? Go to www.workathealth.com and that's where we are. In the app too. You can buy it in the app store, Work at Health app. Yeah, you can find it in the app store. And definitely if you're looking for treatment and you're looking for services, download the app and you know get started right away. We pride ourselves on that. So um, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thank you again for being on this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Everyone let us know what you think of the episode. Let us know what else you want to hear about or from whom other badass women like these too. And until then, I am Jennifer Justice.